Hi, and thank you for joining us on the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center podcast. I'm John Neuer, Communications Director for PBPC. Oftentimes, while we're distracted by other uh, admittedly outrageous actions by President Trump, the administration's efforts to use the power of rule changes and deregulation at the federal level to achieve certain policy goals is constantly churning. Today, we're joined by SEIU Local 668 President Steve Cantonese. Steve is going to talk to us about a number of these instances and the effect that they will have on Pennsylvanians. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me, John. So first to um, sort of lay the groundwork, Steve, can you tell the audience about uh, Local 668 members and the kind of critical work they're doing across the Commonwealth? Yeah, sure. Um, so our union, uh, SEIU Local 668, we unite workers in Pennsylvania, um, primarily in the field of social services to advocate for themselves, their communities, to make sure, you know, their voice is being heard for the, the critical work they're doing. Um, we're caseworkers, rehabilitation counselors, um, advocates, and social workers. Um, you know, my background was I was a caseworker at a county assistance office where we determined who was able to receive what types of benefits such as Medicaid and uh, food stamps or the SNAP program. Um, so we do our best to look out for Pennsylvania's most vulnerable citizens and for each other as well. So I want to dig in on a couple of the Trump administration attempts to change, sort of change the fabric of the social safety net and reshape the way that we and, and many of your members too are able to provide the services to Americans who are working to get their lives back on track um, and, and you know trying to help their families make ends meet. Uh, one of those changes is a regulatory change to the way that inflation is used by the federal government to calculate mm -hmm. the poverty level. And basically right. what they're proposing is uh, you know, a change in that calculation that would make the poverty level rise much more slowly from one year to another, which you know would affect families and individuals seeking things like food assistance. So what would the result from such a policy change um, be if it goes into a effect? And, and you know you have some personal experience with dealing with folks that are uh, you know trying to get access to these these federal programs. So what do you how, you know how would that affect folks that are uh, looking for some assistance? Right. So um, in this case, well, we're talking about a proposed rule change coming from the Office of Management and Budget in the Trump administration. Um, and it would affect how the poverty threshold is calculated, which basically affects whether or not someone's going to qualify for some type of public assistance. So currently we use a standard CPI or a consumer price index. And what they're proposing is moving over to something called a chain CPI. Um, what it's basically doing in its formula is making some assumptions that it believes would lead to somebody not needing um, a cost of living increase year by year due to inflation. Um, so in this new formula, what we would see is by little bits of percentage points year by year, you know, this has been happening every year since 2019. If you look at one formula or the other, the new formula would reduce how the cost of living increase would, would um, help poor people out here just to kind of keep, keep water with like say the increasing price in like eggs or milk. Um, we would see that go down year by year. And over time, what we would start to see is more and more people would either lose or get reduced benefits. So over a period of time, you know, our numbers are showing at least uh, that we'd probably see about 250,000 seniors and people with disabilities would either lose or get less help paying for prescription drugs. 
Um, we're looking at about 300,000 kids might lose Medicaid or CHIP coverage. Um, maybe 250,000 adults would lose um, coverage through the Medicaid expansion. Um, the number of Pennsylvanians that would really be impacted by this is, it's hard to be 100% sure on it, but it would be well up into the 100,000s and possibly into the millions. Um, and this is all, again, simply based off of how the federal government wants to reduce what it believes is the federal, federal poverty line. Um, I think right now for a, a family of two, the government thinks the, believes the poverty line is about $17,000 for two people to survive in a year. So we're not already looking at that much money. What we're looking at now is a way that it would keep it artificially low in this way. Um, so what happens when they propose these changes? Because this isn't something that, you know, Congress enacts. This is the way the administration runs some of its programs. Um, they put a public comment period up there so citizens have a right to voice their opinion on it. Um, the comment period closed on June 21st. We're not sure whether they're formally going to adopt this, um, but just because the administration is looking to make cuts like this doesn't mean we just kind of have to sit by and let it happen. Um, so, you know, at this point, we're still looking at uh, how folks can reach out to um, the Office of Management and Budget and tell them this isn't what they want. The, the changing the way in which we measure poverty is going to mean a lot of people that need assistance aren't going to be able to get it. So along with that, um, the Trump administration's Department of Agriculture is proposing another rule change that would affect eligibility for SNAP benefits. So a lot of, some people know that as food stamps. Basically, right. the federal government wants to cut off the ability for states like Pennsylvania to gradually phase families out of the program instead of a hard cutoff uh, of SNAP benefits for a family that exceeds income limits for eligibility. So like the previous change, how would you see such a rule change affect Pennsylvania families? Yeah, so um, this rule change for what's called yeah, broad-based categorical eligibility, um, what it would do would basically limit food stamps access or SNAP um, by making the application process a little bit more difficult and restricting the eligibility guidelines. It would impose an asset test. It would impose harsher income limits. Um, the, the real trick, and like when we're talking about this paperwork too, the, the, the one thing that we always tried to fight really hard against was a lot of times when people are applying for assistance, you get overwhelmed with all the different paperwork and hoops you want to jump through. There's some people that don't qualify under the government's means testing for assistance, and that's understood. But what the real shame is, is when some families don't get it and they need it, and it's just because they're not able to keep up with the burdensome paperwork. So what we're seeing here is like a regulatory change that would not only make new paperwork, but then new rules, which would be hard for people to keep up with. And the real big change here is that what families starting to run into sometimes, especially when you're starting to find yourself, um, you know, maybe your job situation is changing. Maybe you earn a few extra hours at work or you get a slight raise. As your income increases, the amount of the, the level of public assistance you're able to get sharply decreases. So what would happen if this rule went into effect would be there might be situations where, say, a mother's working and she gets like a 50 cent an hour raise. She might be getting about $100 in food stamps, and all of a sudden, within a month, she loses all those food stamps. Then you start to find yourself in a real situation of how do I make ends meet to survive? And you don't want families to have to question whether they should be able to work more 
or be able to afford the to have the public assistance you know make sure their child can eat right so what we feel is that when this happens we're going to see a lot more people confronted with those situations and that's something we really strongly want to present by data you know we're looking at in pennsylvania that more than 200,000 people would be impacted by this change um it's 120,000 households so we're looking at you know over 80,000 households with like elderly and disabled individuals including some with children you know um another 14,000 households without kids at least 20,000 that have kids um it's a lot of people that would be impacted and so just by making this change on its own not only are people going to be kicked off but then they're going to have to find even more rules and regulations it's it's kind of crazy for uh, for an administration that's done a lot of work talking about how it wants to reduce burdensome regulation they tend to try to cut corners for corporations but for people it seems like there's more and more hoops to jump through just to kind of make ends meet and and i will say i i've seen just as a quick follow-up i've seen uh folks who support this particular rule change cite uh, an example like somebody who uh wins a million dollars in a scratch off you know like they, they hit the lottery stuck right that's the example that they use and they say, well, that should be, it should be a no brainer. This is absolutely what we, what we should do. When in reality, the tens of thousands of situations that you just cited are actually what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the reality is that we're talking about the, uh, the working mother who uh, gets a 50 cent an hour raise, which is great, but then is suddenly just over that threshold. And so we're going to snap our fingers and uh, she'll then, you know, instantly be ineligible for for the the, the benefits that her, that her family needs to make ends meet. It's 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 ridiculous to 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 sort of not state the obvious, which is that your the examples you point to are. Mm -hmm you know, that's what we're talking about 99.9% .9 of the time. No, and you're, you're really on point. Like it seems like another, um, it really is another like attempt to make anecdotal recreations of the old, you know, welfare queen, queen stereotypes that's meant to like, you know, portray poor people in America as some sort of like leeching from other people or whatever, right? When in reality, everybody on public assistance you know, I, most people are working people and a lot of people have a job. Most of the people that don't have some sort of disability, right? And even if they don't, you know, the, the basic social contract in America, we try to make sure people don't starve. People have some access to healthcare. And when the, this basic idea that, you know, like you said, all these, um, all these poor folks are winning the lottery and, and we need to make sure those folks don't get access to assistance. Um, okay. Fine, agreed, but really the the ninety nine point nine percent of people on assistance, you know, are kids and needy people who need it to survive. That's who I'm really focused on myself, not so much the one percent, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, so Steve, unions, um, you know, not unsurprisingly, pay a lot of attention to developments with the Department of Labor, the U.S. Department of Labor. Um, the Department of Labor is responsible not only for regulations affecting workers across the country, but they're also responsible for funding uh, a lot of workforce development uh, programs that help those in need find jobs. So are there any uh, potential rule changes or developments coming from the U.S. Department of Labor that, uh, that you're keeping a close eye on right now? 
Yeah. So I think we're kind of stuck on talking about little ways in which like the social contract and deals dating back to, you know, the new deal are are kind of being undermined right now. Um, One that we're really keeping our eyes on is um, a proposal called the Wagner Pizer Staffing uh, Flexibility. Um, So, you know, basically at least us as a union, one of our core values is a working people Black, white, brown, wherever you come from, whoever you love, you know, you all des- everyone deserves a fair shake in the economy, that the government should be for the people, not for wealthy special interests and corporations, right? So the Wagner-Pizer Act has been around since the, the 1938 and the 1933 maybe, um, but what it created was a system of job training for workers in America. So folks who get laid off from work or, or need some type of special edu- education or training, it provided job training, adult education, and other services to get people back on the job. It's been amended over and over over the last 70 to 80 years, um, most recently in 2014 through the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, or WIOA. Um, but it's a system we have little uh, places all across the state where public workers um, work in some cases in public-private partnerships to try to give people job skills and trainings and get them back to work. Um, what this new rule, though, again, is the Wagner-Pizer staffing flexibility. It would make it easier for states to outsource workforce development functions that are handled by the employment service uh, employment services that are basically funded by federal dollars. So you're start going to start. You would start to see more federal dollars outsourced to private companies who would take over these public functions. Um, there was a really rushed public comment period for this one as well. They gave it like 30 days but it has the potential to have a really significant impact on the national job market. The rule itself, even when you read it, they don't even know if it's going to increase or reduce costs at all. Um, but what it would certainly do is privatize more services and go to corporations that are less accountable than people who work for, you know, this, the public right now. Um, you know, the state employees, many of which we represent, they receive the same training, no matter where they are in the state, these workforce, um, these workforce development centers are all across Pennsylvania. Um, so wherever they're at, they're getting the same training with the same systems. There's a very specific merit hire pr- procedure that people get hired through to make sure all qualifications and all the processes is, is equal. There's no profit motive either to churn people out. The only profit is to make sure people get the, or excuse me, the only real motive is to make sure people get, you know, the right, um, the right training, the right skills to have a long-term career. But what we would likely see if this rule goes through is more and more of those public functions would be privatized. And I can't guarantee that taxpayers or the federal government would either see a cost savings or a reduced tax burden. We don't know if that would happen. We don't know if job training will get any better. I would suspect it would get worse for the services that are provided. But what I can guarantee is there are some corporations that will see their bottom lines go up. Um, So we're really worried about this one. Um, it's another one where the comment period ended, um, but there, I think there's still some opportunities for the public to make sure its voice is heard and make sure, making sure this doesn't happen. So, Steve, I, for a few of these, you've alluded to this, the public comment um, and why that's so important. Um, we'll make sure that we include some links for folks in the description of the podcast. So for any of these that you mentioned um, or others that are related, we'll link to where people can make public comment. But can you Great. just, you know, why is that so important? Because we always, we, we, you know, we try to on on these podcasts, when we talk about these things, we, we also try to give folks an outlet 
sort of if if this doesn't sound right to you, what can you do about it? And the public comment on these potential rule changes is is really important. But can you can you explain why that why that's so important? Sure. So um I mean, everyone in the United States as a citizen has the right to have their voice heard in some way with the government. These public comment periods, if you leave a comment, they are supposed to be read. Every comment is supposed to be read and at least taken into account. The more they're there, the more input that is seen. And there's a lot of folks, um, there's a lot of folks that work in the government, right, that, that are in this for their career. Some people aren't as motivated by public, uh, by special interest to get their job done right. While some of these things might be being pushed by special interests who really don't care about poor and working people, um, there are good people that work in the government that do. And the more your voice is heard, whether it's either for the people who want to take into account the real valid opinions of people who might be impacted or care about this, or to show people at the top that there will be some resistance to their change, um, their proposed changes, either way, uh, Americans' voices are really, really needed at these times. So getting your voice out there shows that, you know, you're paying attention. And when the government knows that you're paying attention, it's going to tread a little bit more lightly when it tries to make changes that could, you know, negatively impact you. I think that's so important, just like uh, so many of your, uh, uh, you know, local 668 members, we're talking about both at the federal level and the state level. We're talking about... Mm-hmm. Uh, career civil servants who are there because they believe in the role that, you know, local, state, federal government can play in making people's lives a little bit better. And so, you know, and like you said, uh, when it comes to these potential rule changes, um, you have, you know, career civil servants whose job it is to, uh, to read those to read that mm-hmm. public the, the public comment and um uh and, and and then take that to the folks that will ultimately make the decision but it really does matter and those are people like again like local 668 members who 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 um uh or there are there for the right reasons you know so yeah uh, i think that's really important we'll include again in the description of the podcast some links for you uh to to find out where you can make that public comment on some of these rule changes uh, Steve Candice, thank you so much. President of Local 668, SEIU Local 668, we really appreciate it. You're really busy, so we really appreciate you taking time uh, out of that busy schedule to join us today on the podcast. No, John, thank you very much for having us. And thank you for joining us as well. Don't forget, check out our website, uh, the new website, krc-pbpc.org. There you can find links to our Facebook page, our Twitter account policy papers and memos and links to more podcasts just like this one. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're listening on Apple iTunes or SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.